Horn. Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Father Paul, how's it going? Joey, doing good. How you doing? Awesome. I love these days of questions. Yeah, uh, prodigal, people, the priest, and me. And me, and me. I know the intro is a little confusing, but you know, maybe I'll get my friend to re-record some. So, <laughs> um, so we got some great questions. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, so let's dive in. Okay, let's do it. Well, first off, Deb, one of our avid listeners, said, "Okay, hey, I had to stop the YouTube video mid-play." To slightly correct you guys on the Stella reference. Yes, Eileen said Stella um, on Seinfeld, but um, wait, Eileen? No. Elaine. Elaine. Elaine, sorry. You got it. Elaine said Stella on Seinfeld, but there were actually making a reference back to 1950s movie called A Streetcar Named Desiree, right? Desire. Desire. <laughs> Where Marlon Brando's character yelled Stella in the pouring rain, trying to win his wife. Stella back. P.S. I was not alive in the 1950s. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Correct. There's nothing wrong with that. We hope our (laughs) we hope our 1950 listeners are listening. Happy 70th birthday year. Yeah, exactly. I guess if you're born in 50. Okay. I'm glad two things, Deb. You bring up like one. You're watching on YouTube, so we're on YouTube on our Saint Anne Catholic page. Um, Second is love that you're uh, joining in with us and trying to figure out those references and all that. So keep up the good work. Um, All right, let's jump into some questions here. Sam asks, sometimes I feel like I overemphasize or focus a little bit too much on the mercy of God and not the justice of God. A lot of saints say things like, remember your death and that makes me think I'm not focusing enough on God's justice and the consequences of sin. I was wondering what you think the balance would be between mercy and justice of God. Thank you. The podcast is awesome. Sam, Mm. you are awesome. So now that we got that out of the way, we appreciate the question. Um, This is a great one. And this is, I I feel like a lot of people um, struggle with this, you know, this balance between yeah, I understand I'm not worthy of like even like this for yeah, we don't we don't deserve this forgiveness or this love or this, but like the Lord freely gives it to us, right? Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are just like, Yeah, how could there be a hell? We have a loving, merciful God. Mm-hmm. And then there's others who are just like, Nope, like I don't see the love or mercy of God. I see the the right the right hand fist, you know, the God of the old Testament. Some people like to say the God of vengeance, um, which I know bothers you. That's why I, yeah, I toss it out. So um, one sided. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, I'll, but I'll get to that. In a minute. But it's a great question. Yeah. It's a great. No, it, it really is. It's a very, um, very mature, current, very, yeah. Yeah. Very mature. Also very current question. Yeah. Like you could, you could rephrase this, this question as, Feeling like sometimes I feel like our society overemphasis, uh, overemphasizes, mm-hmm. <laughs> overemphasis. My bad grammar is influencing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
overemphasizes the mercy of God. Okay, so. Which, P.S., before you go into a deep theological thing, my mom is like always impressed, you know, our two listeners, both our moms and these people <laughs> right. ask questions. You know, she's always like, man, Father Paul's vocab is so good. I'm like, yeah, what about, what about me, mom? And she's like, yeah, Father Paul, he's just <laughs> really good. I'm like, okay, great. So, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, the balance between love and mercy of God and the justice. Yeah. Um, so, really good question and really important question. Uh, the way I would address it is this. Um, in God, everything is one. God is simple, right? He's perfectly simple. He doesn't have like, you know, passing states of, I'm feeling merciful. Now I'm going to enact justice. Like everything for him is completely one and there's no division in God. That's not the case for us. Right. I was going to say that's a hard thing for us to understand right. because that's what we do. Yeah. We go from one to the other. Yeah. Because we live in time, because we reason discursively that is bit by bit, we have to take things in bit by bit, and we have to start making distinctions and things Absolutely. Uh, the way we understand them. So we have to understand God in terms of attributes that are distinct, like mercy and justice and that. But we also have to keep in the back of our minds that in God they are one. His justice is his mercy. Right. And in fact, he doesn't even have attributes. He just is. Right. <laughs> right? Um, because he's God. It's yeah, he didn't wake simple. up one day in the Old Testament and be like, I woke up a little grumpy today. I think I want to take my vengeance out on people, right? Yeah, and we need to we need to just address that Old Testament thing yeah. very quickly. Like, please. I, I, feel, I feel like that's such a common thing to say, and it's just so off-base. Like, first of all, there's definitely not a different God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. That is a, an ancient heresy— not that anyone's saying that necessarily, right. but if you are, um, as an ancient heresy, right. uh, many ancient heresies. One of them is called Marcionism. Mm. Uh, Marcion, who believed after the, our employee Marcy Combo. <laughs> yes, I didn't no. even think of that. Oh, okay, no, that's amazing. <laughs> Shout out Marcy Combo Shout if you're Marcy listening. <laughs> yeah, heiress to Marcionism. Yeah, um, the one true Marcionite. Uh, okay, so. Um, Marcion believed that the Old Testament was basically written by or was describing a different God than the New Testament. And so he was like, Old Testament, not scripture. New Testament, yes. Also, not a fan of all the New Testament. So let's kind of just go with the Gospel of Luke and the letters <laughs> of Paul. Um, and uh, one of my teachers one time told me, I just love this comment. It was so early on. I, I don't even know if I was a seminarian yet. I was just taking a theology course. And it's like, look, y'all, you need to read the Old Testament. Most Catholics, and in fact, most Christians, mm. are closet Marcionites mm. that we just, in practice, treat the Old Testament like it's not you know, something that's really important for us or maybe kind of think that like there's, you know, that's not the picture of God. Like the Old Testament is so important. It's a revealed word of God. And we have to, to use the words of uh, a saint. Okay, I forgot what I was going to say. Something about the old being revealed in the new. That's a God's part of our salvation history. And any history, yeah, no, you need to know what the past was to be able yeah. to live in the present. Well, and also to understand like what Jesus is talking about. It's 
constantly making reference to the to the Old Testament allusions. Like you have to understand that um, yeah. to to understand him. So that's kind of a side thing, but it also does <laughs> does have to do with this question of the mercy of God and the justice of God. Yeah. Okay. If we take seriously, right, that he's perfectly simple and that his justice is his mercy, that we can experience those things differently. Yeah. But that in him it's all the same. Um, I think that actually really does help us mm-hmm. understand like this this dichotomy, two things kind of put together seemingly opposed. Um, shout out Joey's mom uh, to the for the the word there you the go vocabulary um, dichotomy. Um, we can experience something as God's justice, but if we understand that His justice is His mercy, then we understand that acts of justice are always working towards our repentance for our good for our salvation. Things that we could even interpret as punishment like god doesn't punish us uh in the sense of like i will enact justice because we know that he is a father whose justice is his mercy yep um so like it says in hebrews Hebrews, among other places um (laughs) you got it well i'm i'm thinking about the thing like what father wouldn't right like yeah who loves his child wouldn't also like correct him you know, yeah, that that like is if it you, that if reference. Put, I think it's Hebrews put, twelve. No, two. Uh, it's one of those. I think there's a two there. in it. Yeah. Um. If you put Dom in timeout, right? It's it's for the it's so that he learns something, right? Um. You know, not to leap off swing sets or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would never. Put <laughs> <laughs> no, you would. Bad parent example. <laughs> Stick with the priest example. Okay. I put them, come on, I put them in timeout so I can watch the game in peace. Because <laughs> your justice is not your mercy. <laughs> exactly. They're distinct in you. Um, so, okay, that's that's one point on this, that uh, whenever we think about God's justice, we have to remember that it's also his mercy. Right. It's the same. God is good. He loves us. He wants us to, uh, like be purified of all that would lead us away from him. Um, he wants us to be to be holy and actually righteous in his sight. He wants to make us into sons and daughters who are fully free and able to love him. Like that's that's the first point. Amen. Yeah. The second point is that since we experience things uh, discursively, so like one thing after another, making distinctions, that's how we have to understand things, it is really helpful for us to try and strike a balance between God's mercy and his justice. If we overemphasize the mercy part, we can start to presume on God's mercy. Right. Um, and it's not for nothing that like constantly throughout the Old Testament, um, it says... You meant to say the God of the Old Testament. But <laughs> the fear ahead. of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um. We don't like hearing things like that, but like there is a very healthy thing to say, I am afraid that by my own freedom, I could actually lead myself um, into eternal uh, damnation. Yeah. Like that's, that's a real thing. And that is a healthy fear. If we're afraid of anything, it should be that. Not that God would be capricious and would like cast us, you know? Yeah. We don't believe in double predestination. What that means is that like God has from all eternity said like you, you, this group, you have no chance. I'm giving you no chance. 
Like, right. That's a Calvinist thing. Hmm. That's not Catholic belief. Right. God is merciful. His justice is his mercy. Right. But by our own freedom, we can actually send ourselves to hell. That's a real belief in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Like, that's a real belief in the Gospels. Jesus is very clear on this. Which is very scary that many Catholics do not believe we can actually go to hell. Yeah. No, it, it really is. It's a scary thing. I get why people shy away from it. I get why sometimes biblical scholars try and find, like, clever little ways to empty the the harsh words of Jesus of their meaning. Yeah. Because it's a scary thing. It's a scary thought. But it's not as scary when we realize that we have God who loves us, who wants us to be saved. Right. And gives us every means possible. Right? Not every means. That's that's even an incomplete way of saying it. Every Everything necessary. Yeah. Uh, for our salvation and it's only by our own free will that we choose away from that yeah um can i can i ask a follow-up of that because i think what would be helpful to sam and a bunch of people would be so practically father what are we talking about like what does that balance look like practically for somebody it's like one way i think about it is the justice part is um your daily examine what ways have I failed God yeah. at the end of the day? Yeah, not, I'm, I'm just no, trying to a, think like daily, like daily ways. How can we, how can we strike that balance as just an average person every day? Right. No, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, making a daily examination of conscience, which begins with an invocation to the Holy spirit, reveal these things in my heart that I am afraid to confront. Um, that I know that I've done. They can find that online, right? Oh, yeah. EWTN, yeah. any of those. Yeah. If like, you just search for Catholic examine or examination of conscience, you'll find plenty of stuff. Um, and soon we'll have resources available that we can point to you in the next couple months on things like that awesome. uh, with our with our new foundations course, which is coming out. Yeah. Which we'll talk about sometime in the future. Yeah. But, um, like that. That's one helpful way because it. it Already in the prayer, it strikes a balance. Come, Holy Spirit, reveal these things. Uh, give me a spirit of gratitude for the ways I have cooperated with God's grace. And give me a healthy spirit of repentance. Right, The sorrow of a son or a daughter who does something wrong to their parents, but knows that their parents love them, trusts that love, and doesn't despair of like, you know, punishment, mm-hmm. right? inordinate punishment. So um, that helps strike a balance because it treats our sins seriously. Right. But doesn't only focus on them. Like we just we just had the feast of St. Uh, Jane Francis de Chantal yesterday. Mm. And she said this beautiful thing. Yeah, it was yesterday, uh, Wednesday. Um, she said this beautiful thing uh, that I actually find myself telling people when I'm giving them counsel all the time. And they're particularly beaten down by their own sins. Um, she said like, we're sinners and in all humility, we should kind of expect that we're going to fall. Right. <laughs> not, not that we don't make every effort not to, not right. that we minimize what sin is, right? but that we take our weakness seriously and so throw ourselves on God's mercy all the more. Yeah. Um, and in entrusting ourselves over to his mercy, uh, that means like 
being able to the best of our ability, it's hard on a psychological level, being able to actually, once we confess our sins and humble right. ourselves before him to move on from that. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's a, it's, it's that pride that's so deep within us yeah. that wants to say like, I would never do something like that. I would never sin in this way. And then that would want to uh, rationalize away that yeah. sin when we actually do. Um, or would lead us to despair of God's mercy. Like I thought I could never do this. And it's, let me just say this to conclude. And I hope this is clear, but um, the original sin, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Um, The root of it all. At the Easter vigil, we sing this very beautiful hymn called the Exulted. And one of the lines in there is, Oh, happy fault, oh, necessary sin of Adam, which led to so great a redeemer. Right. Um, what that means is not that the original sin was a great thing, but that God drew out of it this even greater good than if they had not falled, fallen <laughs> um, to send us a redeemer. Yeah. Right? Like that sin was... The worst thing ever to happen in history up to that point. Um, but it led to this even greater good. God used it as an occasion. Yeah. Um, and our own sins are like that. They're terrible. Sin is awful. It's the worst thing ever. Right. But it's not the end either. And if we allow that sin to humble us and f- if we allow ourselves to take that weakness seriously, right. I'm not as strong as I thought I was apparently. Uh, right. And to attack that pride, which would seek to make us into gods ourselves. Right. Um, if, if we allow that dynamic to happen in God's grace to work, it's going to force us to more dependence, more prayer, more conversion of heart um, in a more authentic humility. And that is actually a greater good. Right. Um, like God can do something incredible, yeah. even out of our own sinfulness. And what so I hear, oh, to, go to, ahead. To finish in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in dramatic fashion. Dramatic fashion. Um, so St. Paul would say, right, do I sin therefore that grace might abound? Mm. No. No. <laughs> Obviously not. But the point is God's <laughs> grace can abound in any situation, yeah. including in our sinfulness. And what I heard clearly and maybe it's just a conviction for me um utilize the sacrament and confession like don't just walk to it run to it like i love when priests complain about how long they've had to hear confessions for Mm -hmm. because that to me is like yeah people are coming back to the lord yeah you know like the beautiful beautiful aspect of that of like so many people being away um and taking this serious. So um, go to confession. Run to it. Don't be scared of it. Don't let that hold you back. If you've had a bad experience before, any of that, like yeah. like run to God's mercy. Like acknowledge, you know, the justice. Acknowledge your faults. Receive his mercy. Yeah. You're not inconvenienc- inconveniencing the priest. That's why we exist. Yeah. That's actually why we exist. Yeah, we got to put them to work one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Let's go a very deep question here, which is um, what will happen if some college football teams play and others don't um, in the fall? 
should they be given the championship? So I think this is in reference to like you look at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announced we're not playing in the fall, right? And it's up in the air if they're going to play in the spring. Now, I think they're trying to, Mm -hmm. but unsure. The spring, I know many people are bringing up concerns and all that. How would it handle back-to-back seasons, all that? We'll get into that. But the Um, Big 12, though... Uh, I saw a headline yesterday that they like, said, we're going ahead. Yeah, we're going ahead. And I think the SEC, too. And yeah, the SEC ACC. and the AAC had said that earlier. Right. Uh, I'm interested to see if they if they reinforce that right. or not. I think, like, the Big Ten, which is partially, like, okay, I'm Penn State fan. Like, number two team, Penn mm-hmm. State. Yeah, it's weird. Like, Notre Dame, Penn State. My dad, you know, Pennsylvania, Philly. So, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll go Penn State. But, like, otherwise... I hate the Big Ten. And I know there's tons of Big Ten people over here. So, you know, whatever. Send us your questions, comments. But, you know, like, I felt like they were like, yeah, yeah. We're going to put out this statement. We're going to cancel and everybody's going to fall in line. <laughs> and I feel like the Big 12 and, like, the SEC and all of them are like, hey, <laughs> yeah, no. I Like, I love Dabo Sweeney. Like, coach of Clemson is like, hey, if we play, we're going to get, you know, and we win, we're going to consider ourselves the champion. So it really brings up two questions. Like, yeah, should everybody fall in line? Should there be a spring season? And I know it brings up multiple concerns, but I'm like, if we can get everybody to agree on some things, like picture this, doesn't it kind of create a bubble type scenario? Mm -hmm. Because if you started in hypothetically December, okay, or even even the end of November, December. Most colleges are deciding that Thanksgiving break, go back home. Your mm-hmm. students, you're done there, right? You've done your finals, everything like that. You've kind of put athletes into a bubble situation where you could play those games at the end of November through December and January because kids don't go back to school usually until the end of January. So they're in a situation where... You could house them on campus. You could give them free housing. Imagine that. They're making you millions of dollars and you give them housing and different things. Um, and then and then hopefully we figure out some things, you know, and the world's in better shape by kind of February when, you know, every people are back. I don't know. I, I struggle with it being like, yeah, I understand what Dabo Sweeney's saying. And I want to be like, yeah, you played great. You're the champion. But I'm kind of like, yeah, I think Ohio State has something to say about that. Or, you know, or Penn mm-hmm. State. Like, they made the college playoff. I don't know. Where are you on the, all, all this? Like, Dabo Sweeney's the champion? Oh, like I'm saying, like, if Dabo <laughs> Sweeney says, like, oh, as Clem, you know, like, if they play and Clemson wins it all, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I you was just saying, saying. I was like, I'm pretty sure LSU won last year. Oh no, 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 no. LSU did win. I'm saying I do because like of LSU. This. That's the only reason I said. It. Oh, um, there you go. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a mess. It is a mess. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I I wonder what the merit of like reducing it down to conferences and bowl games would be. Um, when you only have sort of like half of the teams that would normally factor into the the college football championship. Right. To like not go that extra step. Right. I'm not saying that I, I would want that, but that intrigues me. Um, like if you have some teams playing much later and some teams playing much earlier. So you're just going off the merit of like pure schedule then? 
because you wouldn't have a playoff or bowl games or any of that, which I feel like is what decides it, right? Because what do you do when you have five undefeated teams, though? Now you're just going on coaches' polls again? You're creating, you know, this is why we, you know, tried to develop the playoff system. I I don't know why the NCAA, what I'm frustrated at is leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're always talking about that in churches and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, isn't there a governing body called the NCAA? Can they get everybody on the same page and say, here is an effective plan. We had all this time to work on it. We did nothing. And we're letting yeah. all these conferences do things. And I'm kind of like... Have big government step in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do they do? I don't know. I don't think if LSU runs a table and is like, hey, we want it all. I'm like, uh, yeah, with an asterisk. Yeah. You know, and then like, or or what do you do with the fact that like Ohio State's like, fine, we'll leave the Big Ten for one year and do like... Can they break a contract? Is Big Ten allowing them that? This is creating like, you know, the big, the saddest part of all of it yeah, is we Nebraska have these, said they were going to do that. Yeah, too. Nebraska said they were going to do it too. Um, saddest part of all of it for me is you have the fans that are just these diehard fans, and there's this purist mentality in college football, which is yeah, kind of funny because it's like, yeah, we can get into that in another podcast, but um. You know, people diehards. I mean, we're in Texas. Yeah. UT, A&M, these powerhouses. SMU. Yeah. Just been. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Baylor. Yeah, like, absolutely. really strong schools lately. Right. Like, this is a big deal in Texas. And so um, part of me is like, hey, let's try to get everybody on the same page, delay it. But I would not consider a team that decides to play in the fall. Like, unless the NCAA says, listen, if you want to pl- play in the spring and just put something on TV for people to watch, great. But unless you play here, you're not you're not going to be entitled to be considered the champion of college football, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of what I was getting at with, uh, with schedule and bowl games and all that. It, it would be like in pro football if the NFC played, but the AFC didn't. Right. Like, you wouldn't say that, you know, the, the NFC champ won the Super Bowl. It didn't happen that year. Right. But you could still say, you know, we're division champions. Right. Or, comp- yeah. Yeah. How, how does it work? I'm forgetting. Like NFC? The, what do you yeah, mean? Like when you, yeah, it's division champions. It's right well, before like, the Super Bowl. No. Ah, uh, see? Division, well, division because there's divisions within the yeah, nfc that's so that's confused. that you know conference so, champions is that what yeah, you call it yeah yeah the nfc conference you know yeah, they're okay. the conference championship oh game. that's what the c is <laughs> yes the national football conference i like here here's my disclaimer i really do love football but i didn't grow up with it because i grew up in bermuda we can, we can tell <laughs> and uh kind of a late comer to the whole thing uh as far as football, I grew up watching a lot of baseball and basketball. Football was harder to get a hold of uh, on a British island. Right. On TV. You're yeah. Saying. And yeah, to yeah. play, like I never played it in person. We just didn't have it. We had cricket and soccer and rugby. Mm. Um, rugby. Intense. Rugby was awesome. Yeah. We had rugby at Franciscan University. Mm-hmm. Intense. They always tried to recruit me. I was like, yeah, sounds like football without pads. No, thanks. Okay, next question. Okay. Um, Chris asks, 
Um, we heard a few weeks ago the parable of the mustard seed in the readings. I don't understand how the kingdom of heaven is like that. Can you explain what Jesus is meaning? Yes, probably. <laughs> parable. Okay, first of all, parables are kind of riddles. Um, sometimes uh, they're so familiar to us right. that we're like, oh, yeah, it should be really clear, right? He's using images that everybody can understand from his right. his time. But he's also like parables are riddles. And um, Have you ever thought about like a modern day parable? Not to be heretical, but like. Sorry. No. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, like a what's a modern-day parable? I don't know. Oh, darn it. Come on. I got nothing. Um, okay. But so like mashal in Hebrew okay. is uh, is a word for like proverb or riddle. Mm. And parabole in Greek is the word used in the gospel to describe Jesus' parables. So it's right that we call them parables. But it's probably translating something along the lines of a mashal and you can see that in the twists that's in all these parables there's always something unexpected it can be hard for us to see because of the cultural difference and the linguistic difference but kind of like knock knock jokes there's that twist yeah you know like is there it's like you know the one like knock knock who's there banana 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 orange orange you glad i didn't say banana you know there's that twist of like you know what i mean they don't always have a twist, so I feel like knock knock jokes do. Okay, I'm not anyway. Not real deep with into the oh, knock I'm knock deep joke in the knock knock joke world. Okay, um, okay. Here's the mustard seed thing. Uh, mustard seed is a very very small seed. It's not the smallest of all seeds. Um, do you feel like people say it is and miss? Well, I mean, the gospel that? says it is. Oh, okay. But <laughs> was it back then? <laughs> no, but. It is, it is very small. Look, it's a, it's a figure of speech. You can look at rabbinic sayings, and the mustard seed becomes a symbol of something very small. Fine. Okay. So it's got symbolic value. That's why Jesus uses it. Um, and it grows into kind of a bush, mm. not the greatest of all trees, which is what Jesus says in it. That's part of the twist. Mm. Um, like, yes, you have the dynamic of a mustard seed is something small, that grows into something bigger and that's a symbol of the kingdom of heaven. Right. Right. And that's similar to the, the idea of the yeast buried in the measures of flour and stuff. A small thing that seems hidden at first becomes like influences the whole. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It starts off very small. Right. Uh, God's grace working in our hearts and affects much larger and broader things. But then the further twist in the parable of the mustard seed is that like he says it grows into a great tree, the greatest of all trees, or something like that? Um, that's not the, like like a mesquite tree is bigger <laughs> than, than a mustard tree, and it would make more sense to say something like, you know, the kingdom of God is like the cedars of Lebanon. Like they had big trees, right. big impressive trees that had symbolic value of being the greatest of all trees. Um, so Jesus is saying to my mind, um, and it is a riddle and it is polyvalent. Like there's multiple sort of layers of interpretation yeah. in there. Like an onion, multiple yeah. layers. Okay. The words of Shrek. Right. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Shrek. Another one I haven't really seen. I've yeah. seen parts of it. Gosh. Um, how many Shreks are there? I think three. Mm. Okay. Go ahead. I've finish. seen parts of one. But so, it's, yeah, it's multiple layers deep. Yeah. So, so multiple layers deep. Um, 
But what I would say is that uh, when he's talking about the the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he's saying the kingdom of God is something very, very small, almost hidden mm. and mysterious for that reason, that then not only grows into something bigger, but something unexpectedly big. It's for something of, so small, so tiny to be right so abundant. Yeah, and it doesn't even grow into what you think it should grow into. Right. It grows into this massive tree when it should grow into a, a bush. Right. Um it's kind of like the idea when uh he talks when Jesus talks about um the different types of soil and that when the word of God falls on good soil, it'll bear uh fruit in abundance. Um, or a, a harvest in abundance, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Yep. Like, that's not <laughs> that's not what wheat did according to the agricultural standards of the day. Like, that, that's not a normal wheat harvest. Right. I, I think I remember a normal wheat harvest is something like 10-fold or 15-fold. And so to talk about 100-fold is like, oh, my gosh, this isn't just a bumper crop. This is something that could only happen... Like, like I, yeah, it, it's like a symbol of the end times. It's so abundant. Um, <laughs> and so that's that's kind of where the mustard seed into this giant tree is going. And then the final element of it is and the birds of the air will come and nest in the branches. Like mm-hmm. that's a that's an image back. I want to say to Isaiah who uses uh, like that image of of all the birds coming from all the places yeah. um, as a symbol of the Gentiles, of the 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 nations, right? The non-Jewish nations who will come and will worship the one true God. Yeah. Um, so the inclusion of the Gentiles is already there in nascent form, but you see it much, much more spelled out in Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's what I have to say about the mustard seed. I hope yeah. that helps. I love it. I love it. Well, we're just a reminder to everybody: if you do want to submit a question, whether that be about faith, about sports, about something random like 2d shapes or whatever it is like please reach out to us prodigal in the priest at gmail.com um you can also reach us on the website uh, stamparish.org slash ptp right and i also just want to say there are some questions that y'all have sent in that we just haven't got to yet mm-hmm. uh, mainly because i'm so long-winded when i start talking about these things mm. um so if you sent a question in already don't worry we'll get to it yeah um we, we haven't, love we haven't talking. forgotten it. We love talking. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we're very excited. Uh, uh, and thank you to everybody who submitted a question. Great questions. Keep it up. Uh, for Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter, take care. And God bless.